If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the book of 2 Kings chapter 20. It seemed to me that late February or March, as I was reading the scripture daily, there was a defined note in the spirit, and I took my pen a little note card that I read my Bible with and I would underline a repeated phrase or a happening. In many ways it disturbed me, but it kept coming up over and over. The months have drifted by. I'm mostly out of those chapters, but having ventured into the book of Amos, it has reignited all of the previous underlined notations. So I read tonight from 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse number 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. He turned his face to the wall. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth. It was right. With a perfect heart, he was telling the truth. Have done that which is good in thy sight. Hezekiah wept sore. Isaiah had walked into the middle court. He was walking away when the word of the Lord came to him and said, go back. Tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father. I have heard thy prayer. I've seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And I preach almost. I thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. After some review and many notes... I decided to simply tell of the several true accounts chronicled in our American history. The years of the 1800s brought many new inventions and explorations. There was a desire, in fact, to travel and explore the open lands west of the Mississippi. The news of gold and silver buried in the foothills around streams and ponds that pointed toward California's mountainous range was 
lure enough for thousands to abandon their comfortable surroundings in the East. Virginia City, Nevada. It saw a boost from 4,000 citizens to over 25,000 in just a few years. Samuel Clemens first worked there. He developed his pseudonym, Mark Twain. His writing tells us of the misdeeds that the population boom brought. The town's six-story hotel was the only one with an elevator west of Chicago. Its downtown in Virginia City had 110 saloons, several opium dens, that's drug dens, 20 theaters and music halls. They were all built around the find of silver, the mine that produced silver. Flowing money brought a rowdy crowd and unsavory men. People were shot in the street. The Klondike also flourished and others around it. Gold Rush, the Comstock Lode caught my attention and a few others in more dramatic tones. There were silver mines and some gold mines that lay untouched by their owners. In one particular story, the men had traveled a far journey. They sold their eastern estates and spent their savings on the tools of trade. But after months of struggle and then those months turning into years, they sold their claim not finding the silver or the gold. And they sold their claim for far less than they paid. Napoleon Hill, as a writer, he once wrote the passage, Three Feet from Gold. Russell Conwell's famous speech was entitled, Acres of Diamonds, entailing another misstep. I spent too much time in retelling of them individually. I would, I can't. They all hold a similar narrative. The Comstock and others spoke of people who were so close to finding when they, give, when they gave up, they were close to the vein, so close to the prize, but at the end they grew weary and they walked away. A fallen pickaxe marked the spot of their final attempt, a broken shovel laid upon another, one buried in a pile of dirt stacked as high as the eye, but no one to give it one more plunge. In some cases, they were inches away from the find. In others, the calculation would just be a handful of days had they worked in similar fashion, kept on digging. But they gave up. They walked away. Some in discouragement. Others in danger. Their stories would not have been told had someone come behind and found what they could not find. But someone did. There are a few stories of people who search for what could not be found. Those are easily forgotten. It's the ones who gave up only to have someone else find the silver vein only inches from those discarded spades. Those are the heartbreaks. Their epitaph always seemed to entail the word almost. In every story that I read, almost was used somewhere in the middle and at the end. Almost is not quite there. It's just short of the whole. Nearly, but not completely. It's not that the miner didn't try. He went to great extent. If we could hear him speak today, he would tell of his labor, his sweat, the blood on his hands, the crevices in his, 
in his fingers. It's not as if there was no effort. Trouble had to be traversed to get to where he was. Almost does not indicate nothing. It's never all the way empty. In fact, it's just about full. Just not quite. I'll give the names of kings in the Bible, those underlying notations that I made. Some are of Judah and that southern kingdom and others of Israel, the northern kingdom. I won't give all of them to you. I'll name a few here tonight. Rehoboam, the Bible, followed God for three years. Three years he was following the Lord. But then he decided to set up shrines and some idols. He was doing so well. He almost did well. Jehu struck down Jezebel. He cleaned up the mess. She left, but he failed in the latter part of his life to obey God consistently. Azariah is also known as Uzziah. He rebuilt Elath, which is an incredible story. I, I cannot labor there. He blessed the people of Judah in so many ways. Here's the Bible. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places, except the high places were removed. And the people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. He did all that he was supposed to do, except almost. He had it in his hands to follow through, but he left the high places. He didn't take out all of the false worship. And because of that, God struck him down with leprosy. Amaziah reigned for 29 years. He did well, but he also did not completely remove the idols that littered the land. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. He left things undone almost, but not all. So many of them almost made it, but not quite. They reigned for the duration of their life and did very well. But at the very end, something happened. Hezekiah was an incredible king. Judah never had it so good as in the days of Hezekiah. The Bible says that he trusted the Lord. I'll read it to you. 2 Kings 18, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, none before or or after him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following God. He kept God's commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. He was in conjunction with God and with Moses. He restored Judah with correct conduct, with order, with spiritual disciplines. Jerusalem as a city flourished under his leadership. The land was blessed as he made sweeping religious reforms. Even their enemies shuddered in fear at the sound of Hezekiah's authority and advancement. Hezekiah had the most profound prophet by his side, Isaiah. There was none like Isaiah. The king had Isaiah. When the city was surrounded by the enemy, both Isaiah Isaiah and Hezekiah prayed. Here's your Bible. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were dead bodies everywhere. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he just went back home. And he never came back to attack Jerusalem. That's Hezekiah. Hezekiah got on his knees and God sent one angel and slaughtered 185,000 men. And when they got up, the battle was over and no one even lifted a finger. Hezekiah was powerful. 
And Isaiah was standing with him. Man, if you ever needed a prophet, you would want Isaiah to be your prophet. If you ever needed a spiritual counselor and somebody to talk to and somebody to intercede, you had Isaiah. Hezekiah had it all. He had religious reforms. He had the commandments of God. Nobody was like him before or after. But when he was about to die, and he grieved that he was going to die, he asked God to extend his life. And in the years of his extension, I don't know what happened to him. He opened up the treasures of the temple to a Babylonian envoy. The Babylonians came to see him. They came to say, we heard you were sick. We heard you were in need. We came to see you. He got all puffed up. He was so happy they came to see him. It was like an honor to him. The enemy came to give him a congratulations on his recovery. And because they came... He opened the doors to the treasury and he showed them all the precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices. And he's bragging on the precious ointment. That's the ointment of the apothecary that was unique. All the house of armor that was found in the treasures. There was nothing in the house that he did not show in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And when Isaiah found out that Hezekiah had showed the Babylonians all the treasures that the Lord had given him. The prophet came back to him and cursed Hezekiah and rebuked him. And he said, and I quote, Behold, the days come that all that's in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall, it make, that shall issue from thee, everybody who is born in your house, which you begat, shall be taken away. And they shall be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah almost completed the task as a completely faithful king as so many other unfaithful and immoral kings of Judah had had passed away before him, but he was not quite there, almost. The story is repeated in so many ways. Too many had the power to make a total change for life. They did the majority of the work, but in the end they fell short of the mark. Their stories, their commentaries of their lives entail that dreaded word, that thing that sinks the head, bends the shoulders. Almost. Paul will write to the church of Galatia. He found out that the church, his church, the church that he planted, that there were problems. Those were his converts. He left that church to start more churches in Iconium and Lystra and Derby, And Paul found out there was trouble. And he wrote to the saints because a new doctrine had entered their congregation. The Judaizers are afoot. They are pressing these new Gentile believers and distorting Paul's original gospel message. And Paul finally writes and he says, Ye did run well. Who hindered you? You should not obey the truth. You were doing so good. You were doing so great. You were a believer. You had the truth. You had the purity of the gospel. What happened to you? Something got in the way. 
maybe in a relay race at school or in some local competition almost might be sufficient maybe in some setting if the work did not get done all the way through maybe it might be acceptable perhaps if the test was long and you didn't get to every answer the last few questions were left unmarked maybe your score won't be that terrible but when it comes to this race this spiritual race this heaven or hell decision almost will never do who hindered you what came in between you and God God's call on your life. I ask you, was it a career choice? Was it a career? Did you give up your commitment for a career? Was it peer pressure? I'm just not talking about young people peer pressure. I'm talking about all peer pressure. Was it peer pressure? Was it discouragement? You're not the first person that had to make a choice between God and a career move. You're not the first person that's going to have to make a choice between the Lord, purity, righteousness, and peer pressure. And you surely won't be the first person that ever got discouraged. If every time everyone got discouraged left the church, there'd be virtually nobody in this house tonight. I wonder what makes a person live for the Lord their entire life, but at the very end, the last few years, even months of their life, what makes them give up and walk away? I've been perplexed so many times. Who hindered you? What happened to you that you forsook the beauty of the tabernacle for the darkness of the world? You were almost home just months from sealing your eternal future. I have no idea what a deathbed confession is because I've never seen one or heard one. So if you think that's possible, get that out of your mind. It probably never will happen. I suppose and submit that many people think, I'll just repent before I die, but they never got a chance. Paul, the apostles, is standing there before that gaudy temple in Caesarea that overlooks the sea. We've been there, Tammy, many times to see the sunken ruins where King Agrippa would make his infamous statement to the Apostle Paul. Upon conclusion of what could have only been seen as the most compelling presentation by history's lead soul winner and preacher and teacher of all time, Paul has laid out the cause for Christ before this King Agrippa. Paul recounted his own conversion that happened on the Damascus Road a light shine from heaven. It was an unrefutable testimony. It arrested the attention of all the dignitaries that stood in attendance. He had the king in the palm of his hand and he knew it. In fact, Paul said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. I know you believe. I know what I can see it in your eyes. I know that you understand what I'm saying. I know you believe what I'm talking about when I say Jesus. I know you believe the promise and the prophets and my experience in the gospel. I know you believe. To which Agrippa replied, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Just so close, you almost had me. Go look at that rich young ruler who had spent his life following the commandments. If I could put him in today's vernacular or our setting, 
he was a kid that grew up in church. And now he's a young adult, probably in his 30s. He's followed the law thoroughly. It appears that he's left nothing out. But there is something about Jesus that demands his attention. And upon meeting the Lord, he asked him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? It feels like something's missing or he would never have asked the question. But he poses the query. Jesus will challenge him on the law. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie or steal or make things up you know that are false. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor. It's a long list of things to do and not to do. To which the young man replies, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he had a lot of possessions. That young man is on the brink of heaven. He's on the precipice of an eternal connection with the incarnate God. Jesus, the eternal king of glory, is a few feet away. Three feet from gold. A small distance, power, authority, a joint air, all of it awaits him. He's so close, but right at the point of discovery. He's digging with his shovel. He's putting that pick at the spade has sunk deep. And he's just so close to striking it rich. When he hears one last commission and he turns on his heels and he leaves, he's almost there. I preach this word tonight under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I preach because we are all standing on the brink of the end of this age. At this point on the world clock, we have so much to gain and almost nothing to lose if we'll just stay true. I believe that in this room, one of the most powerful end-time preachers of this generation is close to emerging. There's a preacher in this room. I don't know how old you are, but if you won't give up and you go all the way and sell out everything, you'll turn our generation upside down. The moment I felt to write that down, the Lord put the next word in my mind. He said, tell the people that one of the most effective missionaries that a waiting country will ever, ever know is sitting in that room tonight while you're preaching. Tell them, don't give up. You're almost there. You're almost there. Don't let almost be the epitaph of your life. feel led in the Holy Ghost to tell some lady in our church here, don't give up on God, even if you don't understand everything. Don't be, don't leave it almost. You're about to find all the things that you've been searching for. God, God is on you if you'll reach out and go a little further.
I feel led to tell somebody you're making good commitments. I'm so glad that you're making good commitments. You're almost there. Don't stop making commitments. You're almost there. Keep on making more consecration and commitments. I know you get weary. Sometimes you feel like you're 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 chopping at a stone and a, a rock, and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But you don't know you're going to break that stone. You're going to break through that rock. Just on the other side, you might be three feet away from gold. You might be just a, you've been asking that person about God. You've been trying to witness it, and they keep rebuffing you. Don't give up now. There's a Holy Ghost revival on the other side of your seeking for the lost. I don't pastor another church. I don't intend to preach sermons for another church. If anyone's blessed, praise God. I don't know. Let me just say this to our church. It's not an arrogance or anything. I don't. It's what I feel in the Holy Ghost. New Life Fellowship. It could be the epicenter of a revival that reaches beyond the borders of our city and our county. It could stretch into places where there's no light, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're doing here could actually start breaking down strongholds that the devil has occupied for a long time. We don't know really what we're doing here. You don't understand. The spirit is bigger than the four walls of this building. Your praise goes out beyond this place. It seeps out into other counties and other states. It can go all across America. If we ever pause or ever think we got it together, we're in big trouble. We're not there yet. Keep pressing. Keep pushing. Keep praising. Keep singing. Keep giving. Keep rejoicing. Keep fasting. Oh! <laughs> We may very well be positioned for God to use us in a way that we've never known before. There could be a Holy Ghost revival come out of our church and not one new member would join our church. Would it be okay if something happened here and the news spread at some other place and there was a massive Holy Ghost revival? In prayer, I seek the Lord and the Lord spoke to me. It was confirmed by tongues and interpretation just not long ago that the Lord did not bring us this far for our own sake. He's invested in us for the sake of his kingdom. And we cannot be an almost church. I pray that you are not an almost believer. I, I hope you're not an almost Christian. I sincerely hope that this is not an almost youth group. If you're 12 years old to 18 years old, I want you to stand. You're not an almost youth group. 
I pray you're an on fire, Holy Ghost filled, powerful, apostolic, Pentecostal, Jesus name, pressing forward youth group. Thank you. I'm trying to find the young adults. All the young adults here, you're over 18. I'm praying that you did not spend your teen years seeking God, only to become cold as you get older. Some of you used to lead in worship, now you sit in the back, wait for the other kids. Don't ever stop doing that. Don't ever stop worshiping God. Press your way to the front. You never outgrow jumping, shouting, clapping, speaking in tongues. No one ever gets old enough. Pardon me if I get a little bold here. Nobody is mature enough to stop praising God. If you think that's maturity, I'll tell you what that is. That's pride, arrogance, complacency, and apathy. And it's not of God. And you're missing the mark. Your body may not function the way it used to, but if you got a hand to praise Him, if you got any energy, if you got a voice, don't be an almost apostolic. found nothing yet keep on digging haven't got my prayer yet but I'm keep on praying I haven't made it to victory yet but I'm going to keep on shouting I haven't overcome yet but I'm going to keep on pressing forward I haven't made it there yet but I'm not going to quit now almost is not going to be my epitaph there's gold in those hills there's silver in that hill there's prayer there's a revival in that home there's a holy ghost move of god in that place hey i'm not done i'm not over i have not quit because i've not seen it all take place Just stay where you are here. Here's what your your Jesus said. For whosoever will save his life. Go ahead and save your pride. Go ahead and save it. You're going to lose everything in the end. Go ahead and save your dignity. You're going to lose it all in the end. Go ahead and save your reputation because you don't want people to think bad about you. That you're kind of crazy, a little radical. You're just one of those Pentecostal. Go ahead and say, you're going to lose it all then. But if you'll lose your life, everything. That means everything you think you are, everything you've saved up, then you'll find it. Only the people who give it all away. Just stay right there. Help me now.
I met an old friend. It's been a while back, but he said to me, are you still preaching? <laughs> As if. <laughs> Find another line of work, he has no idea what a calling is. Are you still coming to church? Really? You getting anything out of it? Oh, you don't know what we're going to get out of it. Just a couple steps beyond here. I'm putting my foot down here. But one of these days when I take a step to put it down here, it won't meet the ground. One of these days I'm going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I'll tell you what I'm going to get out of it. I'm not going to quit now. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to preach Acts 2.38. And some of you are going to get a little bored. But we're going to preach Acts 2.38 to everybody we know is baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking to other tongues as the Holy Ghost gives the utterance. We're going to pray for everybody to be healed until they're healed. And we're not going to quit giving up until they're healed. Because we're going to keep on digging. You ought not stop. We, not, we cannot be an almost people. So I ask you tonight, what shall be your definition? What shall define you? Who shall you be? I'm seeking God for a total and complete work, for unity among the body, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our entire city and upon our lives. I'm seeking God for it. And we're not going to quit until Jesus comes. And when he comes, there won't be anything left to do anyway. And all of you that are all worried about all the things of your life, let me tell you, when Jesus comes, there'll be no reason to worry any longer. Almost. I'm not an almost. I wonder if anyone is in here that would just help me say, I'm not an almost. Not me. No, I'm not almost. Listen, and if you get discouraged about your walk with God, you just keep saying, the Lord's not done with me yet. I, I, I haven't attained. This is what Paul said, I'm not attained. I forget those things which are behind. I've not made it yet, but I press for the mark, for the prize of the hot calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Here's the devil. He says it to you. Are you back here again? You're going to do that all over again? You're going to try all over again? You tell the devil, the enemy of your soul, or anybody else who's used of the devil. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not an almost. I've come too far to quit now. I've got, I've got so much to gain. I've got nothing to lose to go back to. I'm calling for all the young adults here that are over 18 and not yet married. I'm calling for you to come to the front. Come to the very front. I love it. Thank you. Come on, right up to the front. Come up with me. Thank you. I love this. Thank you. It's beautiful. Here's our church, ladies and gentlemen, young professionals.
to make room. There's a lot of room. Come up close to by me. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Come. Come. Thank you. Thank you. Come. Thank you. Come. Thank you. Come. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Come. It's so good. Thank you. I pray right now in Jesus' name over all our young adults. As they make the transition, Lord, into leadership and the design, the call of God. And as they're gathering themselves, Lord, before they make a commitment of lifelong commitments, I pray right now, endow them with a desire, Lord, to seek you no matter what, I pray. I pray that their first thought would be the kingdom, Lord, and everything else would be secondary. I pray that they would develop something even right now in this age, Lord. A great desire for them, for the move of the Holy Ghost in their life to be used of God in whatever way, whatever fashion. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you're a young married couple here and you're under the age of 30, I want you to come to this front. If you're a young married, because we've got a lot of young marrieds that's, that are still very young. Thank you. Thank you. Join them. Join them. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come close. Thank you, young married. Come close. Step in one step, young adults. That's good. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm calling for prayer warriors right now, mothers and fathers of the church. And I want you to put your hand on their shoulders and on their elbows and on their heads if possible. And I want you to pray a Holy Ghost revival on them. And don't be afraid to pray for them because we're going to have this move of God. And we're not going to be an almost church. We're not going to say they were almost saved, but they turned away. And I want all the church to stretch out their hands in faith and believe it right now in Jesus' name.